Okay, let's begin. Jonah chapter three, verses one through five. I am gonna start off with some bad news, guys. To understand this kind of obscure text, we have to go back to middle school. That's where we have to start this morning. Okay, so aren't we often, aren't we so confused this week? What, what has changed about Jonah in chapter three? Uh, was that really his sermon? Was it, or was it just a summary? How is it that the Ninevites came to believe in God? We're so confused. And so desperate times, extreme times call for desperate measures. We need to go back to eighth grade English class. So I need you to actually picture me there I'm probably uh, wearing my Tommy Hilfiger shirt that I wore like three times a week. If you guys remember that, yes. Uh, I'd probably tried to straighten my hair. It's probably a frizzy mane at this point and I have just enough acne to make me miserable, okay? Eighth grade English class really has nothing to do with Jonah, but here's why I'm bringing it up. Do you guys remember the parts of a story? Do you remember, let's see, I had to write these down. The rising action, the climax, the falling action, and the resolution, okay? We're gonna use that to see if we can make our way through Jonah this morning. So the climax of the story has already happened, right? I mean, you can't get more dramatic and more intense than being in the belly of a sea monster. And so there was our climax last week, and now we begin to expect that falling action. The falling action where you start to move toward a nice clean resolution. Nice and neat conclusion. So let's see if that's what we find as we jump back into the story. We're actually gonna ignore the chapter break and start at the end of chapter two. It says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Okay, guys, remember this is a historical book. This is not a parable. So I want you to picture that. Picture Jonah on the rocks or maybe on the beach on the shore of the Mediterranean somewhere. What does he look like? Is he bruised? Is he, is he bleeding? Does he have burns all over his skin from the bile of the fish? And does he limp away from the treacherous waters as quickly as he can out of fear? Was he lightheaded? Did he pass out for a time? How many hours, days, or weeks passed from getting vomited out of the fish before God spoke to him again? It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So we are gonna be moving closer to this resolution. And what we need to know to move toward that is this, has Jonah changed? Isn't that what we are wondering? Has he changed? What is different about Jonah as chapter three opens? So let's go through a couple of the things that we do know. We know that Jonah now believes in God's omnipresence, right? We talked about that last week. He is now, he's no longer fleeing from the presence of the Lord and he's praying from the belly of the fish. So Jonah has learned that God is everywhere. He is not bound by location. We know that Jonah has proclaimed with his mouth, salvation belongs to the Lord. Does Jonah now fear the Lord? Do you remember that working list that we built in chapter one of what it means to fear the Lord? Well, do we see Jonah now living that out? I mean, he's obeying him in this chapter. He's remaining near to him. So maybe he fears him. We think he's aware of his sin, at least to some degree. 
And at the very, very least, what we can say about Jonah is he is at least fearing the consequences of sin. He does not wanna get swallowed by a sea monster again. What we do know about him that I think is pretty cool is that Jonah has now learned the message that he would then preach to Nineveh. Hasn't he? I mean, think about this. He was supposed to bring a warning and mercy to the people of Nineveh. Now Jonah has experientially learned the mercy of God, hasn't he? He has learned that hardening against God creates a mess. He has learned this warning himself that if you don't turn from your evil or your idols, life is going to get worse. So Jonah has lived out and learned experientially what he was supposed to deliver as a message to the Ninevites. That's a pretty good start. So maybe we're feeling excited about this and we're saying, sweet, Jonah's a new man. Maybe, maybe, maybe not, I don't know. Do we actually have the answer to our question as chapter three opens? Let's get a little bit closer. Let's look a little bit closer at our text for this week. It says that God speaks to Jonah again. Ladies, let's not even rush off that point. God speaks to him again. Remember, what we are doing here is training each other to look for what the Bible first says about God. So push the brakes on what can we learn about Jonah. And first let's sit here. God speaks to Jonah again. How merciful is our God? How patient is he? We should relish this observation that he comes to Jonah and speaks to him. Again, he is merciful and he is slow to anger. He is liberal with his mercy. And by liberal, I mean, he is extravagant. We saw this week that his mercy is for those who fear him. His mercy in a storm, his mercy in a fish, and now his mercy in a second chance. How patient is our God. Are we truly gonna sit in that and delight in that? He is patient with us. And sadly, I am so unlike him in this way. This is an area that we are called to bear his image and I fail all the time. I mean, probably even this morning, what it looked like you know, with, with parenting, I tell the, one of the children, go get your shoes on and they don't. And okay, look, I'm gonna be like God. I'm going to bring the word again. Go get your shoes on. (laughs) Go get your shoes on. Go, oh my word, dadgummit, get your silly shoes on. I am not like God in this way. Sure, maybe I will repeat myself, but don't we sense the mercy and patience of God when he comes to Jonah, how very slow to anger he is with his children. So the question we should ask ourselves is what effect should God's kindness, his patience have on us? How should we respond? Well, we looked in a cross-reference this week that his kindness leads us to repentance. That's the effect that his kindness should have. It should draw us to repent and obey. And I think that that's what Jonah did. I'm gonna give Jonah a point for that. He needs them. I'm gonna give him a like or a heart or whatever. He needs those from us. Cause it says that he arose and did according to the word of the Lord. He responded to the mercy of God. Isn't this so needed for us in our days today, in our week, in our years? 
Could we be women who see God's kindness as a catalyst for change in our lives? So where this week have you seen his patience, his kindness? Actually take a moment and pinpoint that. When have you seen his liberal mercy toward you? What change did that bring about in your heart and in your behavior? I think there's a little bit of a bad habit among, we'll just say for women specifically. What, the question is, what do we do instead of obey? Especially among a group of church women, what do we do instead of actually obey? I think we talk about obeying. I think we process it with one another. We mull it over. We know what we need to be doing, don't we? We know what attitudes need to change. We know what behaviors need to change. But we talk about it and we chit chat about it. And in doing that, here's what happens, at least in my own life. When we do that, guys, it takes the edge off of our conviction from that sin. The more we process it with one another and drag our feet in that obedience, it takes the edge off of that conviction that God has given to us to bring about change in our lives. So let's, let's change in this way. Let's become highly reactive women to the kindness of God. So let me just throw out a couple specific questions, things that have pierced my own heart. Who is it that you need to apologize to this week? What sin do you need to confess out loud? Not process about, not share, but confess out loud. What show needs to be turned off? What attitude needs to stop? What hardness needs to soften? Where do you need to arise and do according to the Lord? Let's be women who learn that quick obedience. So Jonah responds to the Lord and he obeys. And we are encouraged once again, maybe. Or maybe this repetitive reading has taken its toll on us. Maybe we feel a bit jaded about him. We talked about this last week that chapter two kind of leaves us with a knot in our stomach as we picture Jonah being vomited out of the fish. And our question is still unresolved. Has Jonah changed? Well, what does the author disclose to us next? Verse three says, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. Okay, so the author really wants us to catch on to how big this city was. He says it's exceedingly great. I hope you notice those repetitive words this week. Why is he doing this? Well, I think he's wanting to almost like pull back the rubber band. He wants us to feel that tension. Do you sense this, how big this city is. There's no way that this is gonna work. We should be expecting this to be an exceedingly great flop, an exceedingly great failure. Jonah, you better get to work quickly. Jonah, do you have a game plan? Do you have a vision? Do you have a mission statement? Do you have a hashtag for your plan? Do you have a flowery background so you can get your sermon up on Instagram? Jonah, you better work that homecoming king charisma. Let's go. This is, this is set up to fail. It's an exceedingly great city. And here's what he says, this man who's just had his life changed, this man who's just been saved. He says, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Points for brevity. Points I will never, ever get. 
Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. It seems weird, doesn't it? Seems like a weird sermon. Now, as I said in the homework, we don't know for sure, was this his full sermon or was this just a summary? But I think we can still learn from it. It's a weird sermon. It kind of goes with that odd introduction in chapter one. There's a lot we don't know, but let's look at a couple of things. We had you guys think about the numbers that were used in this chapter. So it says 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Well, a good thing to notice when you see the number 40 throughout the Bible is that it's usually associated with the time of testing and discipline. So can you think of examples? How about Noah? Noah and the ark. How about uh, the Israelites as they left Egypt They were made to wander in the desert for 40 years. Why? Because they failed the test. They they wandered in unbelief. So they had to wander in the desert. But then maybe we can think about the New Testament. Think about how Jesus went into the wilderness after his baptism for 40 days. And what did he do in the desert? He passed the test against deceit, against unbelief, showing himself to be the true and better Israel. How about the number three? I wonder if you guys took the time to to really observe that number three. Maybe you were connecting. Hey, haven't we just seen this number? Doesn't this number sound familiar? And I don't even mean Jesus being in the tomb for three days. I mean something even easier, closer than that. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days, right? The number three usually means completion. And so here we are, standing with Jonah and I can just picture him with his feet on the the city limits, standing at maybe the city gates and he's thinking to himself, what's worse? Three days in the belly of that fish or three days in Nineveh? What's worse? What's, What's gonna be worse? Three days in the belly of that fish or three days in the belly of Nineveh? My enemies these people who are different than me, these evil people. Well, Jonah went into Nineveh and it says that he went one day into it and began preaching. And so maybe then we start thinking, oh no, one day, that's not complete. Jonah, this isn't gonna work. We have a huge city, one man, and he only goes one day into it. And his message is Nineveh will be overthrown. I'm curious how you guys pictured him actually saying that message. Uh, Did you picture him yelling it uh, with with vengeance? Or uh, we were talking about this last week. Think of when you make your child apologize for something and they don't want to yet or ask for forgiveness. Like, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And they just kind of blur it all into one sentence. 40 days and none of them are overthrown, right? That's That's how I pictured him. You know, if Jonah hasn't changed and, how does he give this message? We, we don't know, and it doesn't really matter. So anyway, but what we do need to feel at this point in the story is even more tension, guys. The tension is growing, leading us to think this isn't gonna work. What a pathetic sermon this is. Where's the illustration? What's the title of it? Do we have our resolution on Jonah? Has he changed? Or maybe the question in our terms today would be like, how is Jonah doing spiritually? Or women's ministry, Jonah, how's your heart? That's the question. How's your heart, Jonah? Well, it may be unclear to us at this point in the story, but we are gonna cling on to what we do know, what is revealed to us in this. And so here's two truths that, 
that were good for me to sit on this week. Number one, sin is cyclical, okay? Sin can often come in cycles. So why, why I even say this is, we've said this many times, the book of Jonah, there's a lot left unsaid, right? It's a bit obscure at times. And so when we are trying to understand God's word, well, one of the tools we can use is we can say, well, what else does the Bible say about this? Fill in the blank. So for this week, where else in the Bible have I seen questionable repentance? And a friend of mine drew my eyes to the book of Judges. Maybe you guys are familiar with that, but here's the cycle in the book of Judges. Uh, The people harden toward God. They pick the things of the world. They become apathetic to his commands and then chaos comes. So sin brings its storm. And usually it was in the form of their enemies prevailing over them. It gets so bad that they cry out to God. God responds in mercy, delivers them. And then the people fear the Lord and live in covenant nearness to him for a while. And then the next generation forgets the things of God. They start the compromise, the chaos comes, the sin brings its storm and it just cycles. And I wonder if that's where Jonah was. We have said that Jonah was drunk on success and drowning in idol worship and it separated him from God. The sin brought its storm. God responds in mercy and delivers him from drowning. And so Jonah begins fearing the Lord and living in covenant nearness with him, at least for a while. Ladies, sin is cyclical. This is really important for us to see in our own lives. If we do not preach the gospel to ourselves regularly, if we do not say what is true about God, what is true about sin, then we will fall right back into sin. If we do not remind each other that sin kills and brings storms, that God is good and his way is higher, then we will forget God and fall backwards. We will fall backwards into addiction, bitterness, doubt. Guys, if I don't keep my nose in this word, if I don't keep my knees bent in prayer, if you guys are not in my ear reminding me that Jesus is on his throne and that his way is better, then I will choose my idols over my God on repeat, I will. It doesn't matter what dramatic, amazing deliverance of God I have just experienced. I will fall backwards into the sins that I committed years ago. Sin is cyclical and so we have to be on our toes. We must be on guard against the sin in our life. That's what happened to Jonah, I think. And secondly, what we can hold on to, what I see in this part of the book is that repentance so often comes in layers. Was Jonah repentant in chapter two? What do you think? Was he repentant in the belly of the fish? I think so. To a degree, I would say he was repentant. I think the adrenaline of the near-death experience aided him in bending a knee. But I also think that the prayer that we see in chapter two was a very classic Hebrew prayer, bringing thanks to God, vowing to make sacrifices. That was kind of their style of prayer at that time. And so is he repenting? Yeah, I think so. But I do think that repentance comes in layers. I had to learn this a really hard way. And just like many of the other stories that are hard for me to to share, it came from about 
four and a half to five years ago in the transition from Colorado moving back to Iowa. I've told you guys briefly before, but um, my husband and I went into a very painful season of God's discipline in 2014. Uh, The theme of it was absolutely God removing our pride. God allowed us to uh, experience a storm that came from our pride and, and thinking that we were all that. So we moved back to Iowa in repentance, absolutely. I was about six months in of just a pretty, um, actually a healthy depression, a depression that came from having to look my sin square in the eye. So we moved in with mom and dad actually for the purpose of extending our intermission season. The way that we summarized it was that we wanted to stay on the operating table so that God could continue to remove the sin within us. So about three months after uh, being back in Iowa, we were gonna move back, move here to Iowa City, so it was time for me to get a job. So I had done uh, emergency room medicine in Colorado and it was my dream job, I loved it. And so I was only applying to the ER here at the U. Took me a long time to even get a call back and I started thinking like, wow, they're missing out on a great nurse. (laughs) Finally get an interview. I'm sitting in the courtyard of the university hospital, getting ready for my interview. And I start having this knot in my stomach. Now, most of you know me well enough to imagine that I actually love interviews. I don't get nervous for interviews, I want them. Which is a sign of pride, now that I say it out loud. Probably should have seen that red flag. So this is an abnormal situation for me. I'm in this courtyard, guys, and I start to feel sick. It was almost like a sense of foreboding. There was this sense that I was picking up on that God's hand of sanctification and discipline was on me again. I went into that interview and could not get a single answer out. I, every answer was fumbled. Everything was cloudy. I could not articulate anything. They would even just ask me an easy, like softball question. And I had no experiences even to pull from for my five years of ER experience. They didn't even try to cover it up. It was so obvious that I didn't get the job. I got in the car, headed back on 80 to go back to my parents' house. And I was so angry at God. I was pounding the steering wheel. I was so angry. I said, God, this is not fair. I have leaned into your discipline for nine months and now you are going to give me more of it. This is not okay. I have not even caught my breath from my husband losing his job because of our pride. That anger went on for about five miles. The next 15 miles, there was a different kind of anger. It was like, are you kidding me, Rebecca? There's more pride? There is still pride in your heart. Deeper still, this arrogance, this sense of entitlement, this sense of just thinking I am all that. I could not believe it and what followed having to look my sin in the face again was this quiet last five miles. Just stillness before God in awe of him. God, I cannot believe 
you love me enough to go deeper still. God, I cannot believe you are this merciful that you would go so much deeper than I would ever think to go. You are inviting me to stay up on that operating table and let you do your good work to remove my pride. My, my repentance was coming in layers. Why? Because my sin was so very deep. God is so patient with us to remove what will steal, kill, and destroy layer by layer. Our walks with God so often feel like three steps forward, two steps back, don't they? Three steps forward, two steps back. Ladies, if that is you right now, please don't be discouraged. Take heart, take those three steps like you mean it. Take those three steps forward with confidence. Repent from the bottom of your heart. Repent for as deep as you can go. And then throw yourself at the mercy of God and stay there and know that there is still more hardness in your heart. There are still bad habits in me. There is still pride in all of us but we still have a God who is long suffering and who is in it for the long game with us. I think that that's what's going on with Jonah. I do think that he was repentant, but I think there was much more heart change to come in him. So back to his story, here he is. He is a third of the way through his assignment He shares this maybe short sermon, maybe it was just a summary. But guys, if that was it, if that was his sermon, did you notice this? He does not tell them anything about God. He doesn't tell them anything about the mercy and forgiveness that he had just experienced. He doesn't tell them how they can avoid this doomsday. We got one man, questionable attitude, massive city. This is set up to fail. The tension is thick. The people of Nineveh have about as much a shot at getting saved as those sailor pirates. What's it say though? Verse five. And the people of Nineveh believed God. What? The people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. This is crazy, guys. Against all odds, the people of Nineveh come to repent and believe. An entire city comes to repentance. How does this make any sense? It doesn't. Just like so many other points in this book, this doesn't make sense. But instead of chuckling like a satire, this is the moment in the story where we are silenced as we remember the thesis of the book. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the author wants us to sense and feel the extent of this belief. It wasn't just the poor people on the street with close proximity to Jonah. It went from the greatest, meaning the king, which we will study next week, all the way down to the least of them. The Ninevites respond and the word used there when it says that they believed God, it's more than just believing the words of someone. It's actually like believing in someone. It's the same Hebrew word used when we hear that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. This is a saving belief. They believed God, not they believed Jonah. 
Salvation belongs to the Lord, not Jonah. God's word did not return to him void, albeit a short trip, short message. Do you guys see this through the story? We have seen salvation come to the sailors, salvation come to Jonah, and now salvation to the people of Nineveh. Why? We want you guys asking this question every week of your study. What does this say about God? God is fill in the blank. Well, God is mighty to save in chapter three. Not Rebecca is mighty to save. Not Jonah is mighty to save. Not Veritas women are mighty to save. It is not my words that bring salvation. It is not your servant heart that brings salvation. It is not our energy or our mission as a ministry that will bring salvation to our parents, our kids, our neighbors, our coworkers. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He, his love reaches from the greatest to the least of people. He doesn't wanna see any of them see death. Do you sense that God's love was big enough to not just go to the people of Israel, but to go beyond to the Ninevites? His love and his mercy are liberal, but what about us? Do we imitate God well in this way? Are we extravagant with love, grace, forgiveness? Or are we calculated? Do we kind of portion out the amount of grace and calculate out how much forgiveness we will give to someone? Do we measure out how much time we will give to needy people? Guys, this is where the rubber hits the road in chapter three. What is our attitude toward the difficult people in our life? I do not need to give you five minutes to think up a difficult person in your life. We know who it is. What kind of obedience are we doing in regard to that person? Do we see the truth of this chapter in our own lives? Do we realize that there are people in my life and in your life that do not yet know the merciful God that we serve? They have not heard what he has done for us. They do not know that he is quick to forgive, that he's slow to anger. Are we holding on to a hope that could be theirs? Are we dragging our feet, staying on the outskirts of their life, going only part way into their story? How often am I short with the difficult people in my life? Really just, if I'm honest, I'm tolerating them. I couldn't go more than a full day into their life. I'm gonna stay on the outskirts. I couldn't stomach going that far into their life for that long. And how about with my words? How often am I quick to bring condemnation and warning and caution and nothing about the kindness of God and his mercy? Man, guys, if you could see my heart on a given day, would you see that really, I don't care if my enemies are transformed. I'd really rather have them be overthrown or at least out of my way. I've got ministry to do. Jesus was nothing like this though, was he? Jesus, 
who also has his sermon summarized down to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. He didn't stay at a safe distance, but as he preached that, he touched the lepers, he healed the blind, he raised the dead. He didn't stay, stay outside the town and wait for the lost to come find him, but he comes all the way in and he enters into their homes. He dined with the morally questionable, the tax collectors, the hookers. He had lunch with the outcast women at Wells. He made friendships with those tax collectors. He called them to repent, but he also called them to love and to freedom, invited them into his kingdom. As we sit in chapter three for another week, Let's let that image of Jesus be what propels us to be women on mission. Understanding that we can save nobody, but that salvation belongs to the Lord. So whether we are in the most fruitful season of our life, or we are just mere inches away from severe hardness, we understand that any revival, any awakening, any heart change, any growth that happens in our sphere It's because of the Lord. He is mighty to save. And he is gracious with his children. Let's pray.